So uh, this morning we're going to look at um, uh, Matthew chapter 2, and I want us to take a look at uh, uh, three, three kind of characters in this, in this particular passage of the wise men, uh, the religious leaders, and uh, Herod. And before we actually read the passage, you know, one of the things is, as we talk about the story of God, um, I want us to be reminded that God is the author of this story. And the point of the story is God, right? The whole point, it's not for you to get better, um, though, of course, we want those things to happen. But the whole point is God and God's uh, being the author and the completer of your faith. And um, just as kind of a personal note, uh, when I was, when I was uh, in 11th grade, my youth pastor gave me a book to read called Chosen by God. And it, it, it formed me in a lot of ways. It, it influenced me in a, in a massive way. And it was written by R.C. Sproul. And this past, I think it was Wednesday, uh, R.C. passed away. And uh, so on my Facebook page, I mean, all my buddies from seminary have been talking about how influential this guy is. But the thing that uh, always impressed me about R.C. was, you know, as growing up as a kid, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good kid. I'm trying to get this thing right. I'm trying to make my dad proud. I'm trying to make... You know, God proud. I'm trying to do these things. And what R.C. did is he kind of turned everything. He said, no, no, Frank, you, you make your life about you, man. The whole point of your life is to make God more famous. He is the point of your life. Make him famous. Don't make you famous, right? Don't make you better. Make, make his name more glorious. And that is the whole point of his ministry, the holiness and perfection and sovereignty of God. And... Uh, I think in the Reformed theology world, he was probably the clearest teacher uh, that we had. And, um, I, you know, he's, he's one of the guys that God used. Not a perfect man by any stretch, but, um, but a good man that, that loved the Lord. And I just want to say that uh, just as a tribute to him, um, he's affected and influenced a lot of pastors, particularly in our denomination. And, um, yeah, Vesta is his wife, and um, he, he passed this week. So um, be praying for their ministries are located. He was the pastor of St. Andrew's Chapel in Orlando, and Ligonier Ministries is um, centered in Orlando, and just a, just a really, really good good man. Um, but getting back to the passage, uh, God being the author of this, um, we're going to look at Matthew's depiction of the story and look, kind of look at the wise men. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, um, just going to look at about uh, 12 verses here. Um, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, imagine this group, these wise men, right? these kings, they came into the city of Jerusalem and they asked, uh, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Of course, they knew, right? They, they'd known this for a long time. In Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then... Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, that was a malicious lie right there. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by uh, another route. Um, when you think about um, the way in which you, you came to know the Lord, how did it happen with you? Um, how, how did, what was the story like? You know, was it all of a sudden? Was it all of a sudden? Because uh, in the Christmas story, um, you know, the, the first group of people that we talked about, the shepherds, they were in a field. And they were just kind of minding their own business and trying to get through the night, hoping you know some storm wouldn't blow through or wreak havoc or some predator or wolf would come and eat the sheep. And I'm sure they were having a little chit-chat. Hey, how's the wife? Good, good, good. How about you? Good. Dilly-dilly, 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 dilly-dilly. I like that, and I think that's funny. Um, and they're just, you know... Normal day, no big deal, dilly dilly. Good, 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 good. Boom, right? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, what happens? Uh, the, the, the song, For Unto Us, right? A Savior has been born in Bethlehem. And what did they do? Spontaneously, in the moment, they say, we got to get up and we got to go. We got to go see what has happened, right? And so Jesus kind of showed up, unexpected, unsought. Here, boom, this has happened. It was suddenly in their face. And I know a lot of you, maybe you've experienced that type of thing. You were living this, and all of a sudden God came to you, and it's like, boom, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you were changed. Um, Maybe you weren't on a search at all, but you were changed. And that's one type, but that's not what I want to talk about this morning. Because I think there's a different kind of person um, that the Magi, that they represent. Uh, These are the type of people maybe you're this type, that you're not just hoping to get through the night, right? Because the Magi weren't. They were what? They can't wait for the night. Because to the Magi, when the night came, what would happen? They look to the stars. They scour the stars. And what are they looking for? Constellations, right? They're looking for configurations. And they want to take them, and they want to plot, plot them on charts. And they want to take sacred books and prophecies. And they want to read the Greek, and they want to read the Hebrew. And they're trying to figure out what in the world is what is the meaning of life they are gripped with this and so they'll go to egypt they'll go anywhere to figure it out right they've been spiritually hungry from birth right they can't wait for the night they're mind they're not minding their own business because their business is what their business is to find out truth maybe that's what you're on right now maybe you're on a journey right you're trying to you're on a search for truth. And what we know is that the wise men, they searched, right? I mean, we know church tradition says that there are three wise men, but if you actually look through uh, even earlier ancient church tradition, they would say more there, there, there might have been eight gifts of myrrh and 12 of gold. Um, but, you know, some, some even the, the ancient of tradition say there was 12 
probably 12. Um, and here's what we know is that these wise men, they traveled hundreds of miles, right? Hundreds of miles. And um, this would not have been some type of very subtle, inconspicuous, inconspicuous little entourage at all, right? I mean, it would have been pageantry. There would have been a caravan of, uh, a caravan of, of, of camels everywhere, right? Prince Ali, marvelous, he, you know, boom, here he comes, right? Let's get all the dancing elephants and everything. They're coming in. What in the world? They're trying to look for truth. They caused a, a ruckus when they came into Jerusalem, and they caught everybody's attention they were a spectacle. But you, the other thing about these magi is that they were thoroughly, exhaustively, completely top to the bottom, pouring out of their pores, pagan. That's who these men were. They were just pagans, right? They did not um, know God at all. I mean, out of their culture, they were called the magi. That comes from the word, I mean, obviously, magician, right? Pagan anti-God, right? They thoroughly believed in the power of magic. They were steeped in it. They were astrologers. They believed in the stars, right? But what happened? But still, there was something not right. I mean, there was something wrong. There was something in their gut that says, you know, I've tried this. This doesn't work. I mean, I've gone this way. And what do we know? Is that even the most... uh, the, the most pagan guys, the most pagan women, God, it's not a big enough obstacle for God, right? That God planted inside of them, right? This desire, and he called them. We call this in our, in our theology, the effectual call of God. That when God calls you, when he is effectually calling you, no, you're not saved yet, but you know. Man, it's just in my ear. I know something. Some, God, I'm, I can't get away from it. I'll run, to, I'll run to do all these things. I'll be away. I won't even think about God purposely. For I'll be obstinate for years, but I can't get it out of me. I can just hear this voice calling to me. It's called the effectual, the effective call of God. And that is exactly what's happening um, to the Magi. Because God's greatest passion is what? God's greatest passion is to reveal His glory to every single nation. So that what? So that nations will bring glory to him. Mission, missionaries only exist because worship does not exist. Right? The only reason there are missionaries in the world is because worship does not exist. And once worship exists everywhere, there will be no more missionaries. Right? The glory of God will be everywhere. And that's what we know is the end game for God. But... We know that the only way for there to be worship is for what? Is is for these wise men to know God. I mean, we walked an entire year, 52 sermons, 52 sermons through the book of John last year. Or this year. Yeah, it's two sons yeah. And um, we, the whole point of the gospel of John was what? That you would know him. And, And John says, if you know him, then you have eternal life. Not one day. You will get it one day, but you will know him right now, and you can have eternal life right now. And that is what these magi are looking for. And God is effectually calling what, these magi to him. And what does he use? God uses this star, right? This star that is, that is going to ultimately be right on top of Bethlehem. And he's saying to him, follow that light, right? Follow that light. I want you to follow that light so you can what? So that you can know God. A connection I want to make is that, do you know that 
in the New Testament, or later on in the New Testament, Paul says, I want the church to be light. I want, I want people to come around in this area, and I want them to be able to come to West Town, to come to church where the people of God are, and I want you to be uh, light for them. I want them to sense that, that you have something inside of you that they want, that they do not have. They will have what? They will have all the, 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 the riches, all the fame, all the power, but they will still be empty. It'll be something not right. I mean, think about the, when you click on the news over the past three weeks, it's, it's, it's what? It's someone famous has what? Has taken advantage of somebody else in some way. And, it, you know, this, this sexual impropriety. And when you think about w- what it is, why would people do something like that? Well, they're looking for something. They want to feel something. And ultimately, when you look about why somebody would force their way or be inappropriate in that way, they want to experience something that they don't have inside. And they've decided this is what it is. The problem is, is it never, ever fills them. It just, it's... Right? It's just a cycle. And what is that? When you read, like if you think about an article like that, that comes out on AP News or whatever website you go to, what is the theology behind that? The theology behind that is they are looking for something eternal. They are looking for something to fill them up. Why else would they uh, be inappropriate or exploit or intimidate somebody else who's lower, doesn't have as much power or influence. Why would they do that? They are yearning and longing for God. That is what they want. And what ultimately we see is that these magi, they have it all, but they have nothing. And maybe that's you. You have it all. I mean, your Christmas tree is, I mean, underneath it, it is filled with presents. Your family, maybe they have perfect health. You have a, a solid marriage. I mean, Hey, it's good. And you still feel empty. Like, wait, I've got a good marriage. I've got good kids. I've got good income. And I still feel this, what? When these magi, they come from hundreds of miles looking for something, I can relate to them. And so the scriptures say, church, we want you to be a light. In fact, Paul says in um, Philippians 2, I want you to represent Christ. Do everything, church without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, not perfect, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, which we are in. Read the news. We are in a crooked and depraved generation in which you should what? Shine like stars in the universe. And that does not mean that we are called to be perfect, but it's, we're called to, hey, Represent to live with the light that is in. See, God intends for us to what, in a sense, be that star over Bethlehem that points to Jesus, that says, that's right, we're the star, that the only reason the star is there is to point to Jesus and say, Jesus is the point. And that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be these signposts, this light in a dark world. Because you know what? People are looking. We have so many magi in our community, I believe. Maybe they haven't walked a hundred miles, but I tell you what, they're, they're, they're looking under a hundred different rocks for something that is true. And we're called to offer that to them. Because in this story, the people least in possession of the truth, 
the Magi, were what? They were the most passionately pursuing it. They were most, in fact, when you look at the, the Magi here, there, there's, there's kind of this naivete about them, right? They came into Jerusalem, they're not guarded, they're not defensive at all. They come in with this big entourage, and what happens? They, asked, they ask, hey, where's this king? We've heard about this king, where, where is he? And they're so excited, right? It's, it's, they're almost giddy. And you know, it says their question finally reaches Herod, and he's ticked. He's disturbed. He's like, what? What is going on? And, you know, past Herod, it says, uh, the church people, uh, or, or the, the religious leaders, it says in, um, after uh, verse 2, it says, you know, or verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King, um, King Herod. Magi came in from the east to Jerusalem. King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the people of, quote, the church. He calls the church people in and says, okay, right? And these, you would think, hey, these are the people that know this stuff. These are, this is like Westtown. It's like people coming to Westtown and saying, okay, so where's the king? What's this Jesus thing about? And... It's almost like, hey, how simple-minded of these magi to think that uh, the people who know more or know better will actually act better. And what they didn't understand is that sometimes in the hearts of people in the church, when we know the truth, sometimes the church becomes arrogant and sometimes the church becomes complacent. And we stop telling people. We stop looking for people and telling people who Jesus is, right? And so, have you seen him? The Magi is asking. Have you seen him, right? Have you seen him? Do you know where he is? What? And, and it's like, hey, would you stop bothering us, right? We're disinterested. I'm on Amazon.com, right? I've got presents I've got to buy, right? I mean, I am in the middle of watching Elf, and Will Ferrell is hysterical. Do you see that outfit that he wears? <laughs> I mean, do you see the, hear the jokes? I mean, they, Elf is awesome. You want Jesus? Yeah, that's cool. But hang on, let me finish watching this. You want, wait, you're looking for Jesus? Okay, before that, do you know that uh, Starbucks offered this new, like, frosted ginger, holly and ivy, mocha, Santa, whatever? Yeah, right? It's great. I've been getting one every single morning. Let me tell you how good it tastes. I mean, it just, like, starts my day off right. You want to talk about Jesus? Well, yeah, but, but, but I mean, this mocha, that movie, let me get to buying these gifts. And you know what? It's like we have the truth, and all of a sudden, we get arrogant, and we get complacent. And that's what we're seeing here in the story of these religious leaders in Jerusalem, right? The people who are in least possession of the truth are most hungry for it in the story. And they're simply working out the effectual call of God and we as a church have to be ready to receive those people. But if we are distracted, right? I read this article this week about uh, a pastor saying, when anybody comes into the church, I want you to, in your mind, ask them two questions. One, are they a Christian? Do they believe in Christ? Second question you should ask them is, are they interested? Right? If the answer is yes to the first one, they are a Christian and they're interested, then they're a disciple. 
If the answer is yes to the first one, yes, they're a Christian, but they're not interested, you got a bunch of distracted Christians in your church, Frank, right? you got a bunch of distracted people that aren't thinking about like the people here in Jerusalem. Now, if the answer is no, if they are, if the answer is, are they a believer and the answer is no, maybe some of you, and are you interested? Because the Magi weren't Christians, right? They weren't Christians. They did not believe in God. But were they interested? Yes. What does that make them? It makes them a seeker. They are truly seeking. And if you've got a bunch of people in your church that are distracted and not disciples, and you've got people coming into your church that are seekers, that is, a reci- that is a bad recipe for a church. And you have to watch out for that type of dynamic in a church. A bunch of religious leaders who are distracted and not thinking that the prophecy has come. Jesus has come. The only reason we have hope is because God promised to be faithful to his covenant. That's the only hope that we have. And I sometimes get nervous because, man, I have this religious, distracted leader inside of me that gets super, super, super excited about Christmas morning. But I wonder if Jesus came down on Christmas morning and said, Hey, Frank, I want you to take all those presents underneath the Christmas tree. I want you to put them in the back of your truck. And I want you to get in with your family, all six of you, and drive down to Metropolitan Ministries. And every single present, I just want you to take out and give to Metropolitan Ministries. And then I want you to get back in your truck on Christmas morning, go back, sit around that Christmas tree, open up the Bible and read Luke 2 and Matthew 2. Would you guys be as happy? Wouldn't we be as happy, right? We should. The whole point is Jesus Here are people that had everything. They had all the gifts underneath the Christmas tree, yet they had no possession of truth, and they are still so hungry. And here were these religious leaders that had the truth, and they had become complacent. They had lost their love, right? As Paul says, I don't smell the aroma of Christ on you anymore. I don't smell him. It's like when you walk in and you put on a t-shirt, and you know the smell of your wife, right? Or she knows the smell of your sweatshirt. She puts it on, she can smell, you can smell your daughter or your son in their clothes, right? Like, I don't, Paul says, I don't smell, I don't smell the aroma of Christ on your clothes anymore. What's happened to you? The religious, the religious leaders may have, still have been alive um, when um, Jesus actually started his ministry. And I want you to hear this passage from Mark or from the Gospel of John. He says to those religious leaders, and maybe they're the ones that the Magi actually talked to. This would have been 30 years later, right? After Jesus was older. This is what Jesus said to some of those religious leaders that may have still been alive. He said this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me To have life. Bible knowledge is fantastic, right? But if it is not getting you to Jesus, it is absolutely dangerous. If it doesn't do anything to your your heart, if it doesn't move from your head to your heart, Jesus says, then you need to be careful, right? Last, Last character in the story, Herod, right? What's... The, the horror and the, and the beauty of Herod in this story. Here's what Herod knew. Herod knew that he could not share 
his throne with Christ. He knew it. He knew it at his core. And that's something that, is, that has so much integrity about Herod. Is he knew that he couldn't share it with Christ. I know that I can't share the throne, my, my throne of my life with Christ. Um, and yet I still try to fit on the throne with him, right? Let's kind of wiggle in there together, Jesus, right? Let's kind of sit together on the throne. See if we can both fit, right? We both kind of do this. And what Herod knew is that um, he possessed the truth. And that's this guy's claiming to be Jesus. That there was a prophecy. He, Herod did know the truth, right? Uh, he, he maybe wasn't able to rattle off chapter and verse like the other guys. But I tell you what, um, Herod was Herod the Great, which meant uh, Herod the Great King. And he was obsessed with, with his own greatness. And it was all false glory. But he was notorious. He was going to be who he was. This guy lived big, right? And he was notorious for his horribly pagan ways, right? He set up idols and shrines to any god he heard about. Um, And he was most famous for uh, murdering people at a, you know, just having an impulse to murder someone and he would do it because he knew that the only uh, uh, kind of tool he had was fear. And he wanted to implement fear in anybody who thought about him or trying to, you know, beat him. So, at this point in history, Herod had already what? He killed his wife. He killed three of, or three, three, three of his biological sons. He had uh, killed his mother-in-law. He had killed his brother-in-law. And he had killed his uncle already. Right? Um, and now, and many others, but those were just his family, um, and now he, he was perceiving that there was a threat to his power. And he knew the truth about Christ. He was coming to be the king. So what is he going to do, right? I'm going to hunt this Christ. In fact, if I can use these magi to get to Jesus, that is exactly what I'm going to do, right? Um, and he told a lie. Hey, he, he, he acted as if he's interested. And ironically, you know, he, he said, hey, if you find the king, I want you to tell me because I want to worship him like you, he would say, right? And I'm going to bring a gift to him. And except it's not going to be a frankincense, myrrh, or gold. It's going to be a knife. That's what I'm going to bring to Jesus, and I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill this little kid. That's the gift that I want to bring because here's what I know, that if he claims to be Jesus and king of all things, there can't be two kings. I am ruler. And you see how, how hunger got inside of his heart. And it was hunger for himself, right? And all he wanted to do was to consume. And maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. But Herod is a picture of what happens, I think, if you let yourself go. See, if you don't, if you're not a Christian and you're not interested, then you're interested in self. That's what the scriptures say, unfortunately. And you are resistant to this message. And this is offensive to you. Everything that's been read here this morning is offensive to you. But Herod is the what? Herod is the playing out, right? Is the playing out of what happens. And he became even more OCD. He became even more um, nervous, hypervigilant about who was going to get him. Which ultimately led to his, his own demise. The problem is, is that... Um, I think I have a little Herod inside of me. 
I mean, I can feel some of this stuff, right? Not that I want to necessarily kill Christ, but I do want to sit on the throne of my life. I feel that stuff. And when I read the kind of the, the deceptive nature of Herod, and I read things like C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters and two demons talking about, hey, how can we tempt Frank, right? How can we tempt people at Westtown Church? How can we do it? We got to use his ego, man. Got to use his pride. And start, you know, get him to really want to rule his life. And let's see if we can get a, a split Frank, right? And he can become one way with people at church and when he's a pastor up front. And then he can kind of become another way when he's by himself or more private. And if we can get two people here, we can split this guy, right? And he'll be the consummate, consummate hypocrite. Um, and that's scary, right? And so as, as you look at these, you know, I think we have some magi here in this room that are searching. That's beautiful. And if you know that, then we're called to be the church. And we're called to be the church. And I, and I feel like, you know, if, if we're going to look at the poor example of these religious leaders, um, that should call us to something greater. Not, we're, not like we're trying to earn our righteousness for, to God by being good, but unity within the body of Christ means that, you know what, we stop complaining and stop arguing and we come together. That means this, that our light shines brighter. What does that mean? God is going to use us more effectively in this community, the more unified that we are as a body of Christ. And, and that's what he wants for us. And so as we look at these religious leaders who have become complacent, right? And then, and then we see the end game for those where your heart has become hard, and it's scary. And here's the thing. Herod thought he could kill Christ. Herod thought he could kill a little baby. And if you just look at that, well, why couldn't he? Why couldn't Herod kill this kid? It was a kid. It's a kid born in a stable. He even knew that it was going to be born in Bethlehem. How can he not kill Jesus? Well, because faith, the faith that we have in the eternal king, right? That Jesus um, promised that he would live a perfect life. And you cannot stop the promises of God. Even if you have all the Roman soldiers, right, that you know what to do with, all the chariots, all the power, all the connections, all the knowledge, God still wins. The end of the story, the scriptures say, is that Herod is destroyed, Satan is destroyed, and Christ wins. Christmas is about the beginning of this new kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. And this kingdom will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. And we're part of it. We're part of it growing. We know the end game is that light takes over the darkness completely to the extent that there is no dark. What if we lived with that confidence? Because some of us don't live with that confidence. We, We live with this kind of nervousness, like what's going to win? Like who's going to win the war? No. Well, light wins the war. It's where it told us. Read the end of the Bible. That's the story. The story ends. Light wins and we live forever with Jesus. The new heavens and the new earth. And I'm going to be getting a, um, a pint with R.C. Sproul in Scotland and the new earth, right? I'm excited about that because I have some questions I want to ask him about some of his theology. Like, I'm going to get to ask him these questions. That's the end. Herod will be destroyed. But it's a picture of what happens when you don't have Christ, Right? 
But there is something about Herod for all his depravity, for all his malice, for all his narrowness and bitterness and paranoia. The guy got it. Herod got it. He at least understood that there can't be two kings. Either I'm a king or Jesus is king. He just decided to try to make himself continue to be king. The problem is he got it wrong. And we have the answer. And you know what? This world needs the answer. I know we can make this, these next eight days, right, about stuff and exchanging of gifts and making sure everyone's happy on Christmas morning and trying to keep things fair. And did I get enough for this? Did I write all these cards? I hope I didn't forget them. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? All that stuff is secondary. And I, I would encourage you, please talk about this story with your kids, dads, moms. Sit down with them and say, hey, we need to make sure that Christmas is about Jesus. And I know you're excited about the gifts and the Christmas lists that you gave me. And you know what? I'm so excited about seeing my kids' face, you know, when they open up certain gifts that, we have, that we're giving them. But you know what? That should pale in comparison when we realize, hey, joy to the world, man. The Lord, right? The Lord is here, right? Angels we have heard on high, and we're going to just sing Gloria because to God alone be the glory. So where are you this morning, right? Maybe you're the Magi and you need to realize that Christ has come and he really is the king in Bethlehem. Maybe you're the distracted Christian right now and you've just been, you know what? You are a Christian, but you really aren't interested in Christianity right now. And Satan has gotten you subtly off track and you're just kind of indifferent to this story. Hey, read this story. Enter back into the wonder that is the story of Jesus. Or maybe you see too much of Herod inside of you and you become bitter, right? You become bitter inside of you and you're nervous and you should be nervous, right? You should be nervous because, hey, the end game for Herod is death and it's, and it's eternal separation from God, eternal separation from anyone that knows Christ. You will never, ever see loved ones that know Christ ever again if you don't know him. You don't know when your last day is. I mean, R.C. was 78. Um, but you don't know when it's coming. And there should be some urgency. And God gives us scriptures to give us urgency and to call us to great things. Where are you this morning? Please don't let this be a lecture. Please apply this to your life. Because the glory of God is the point, And that light will overcome the darkness and is overcoming the darkness. Let's pray. And ask God to inspire us, to prick us, to, do, to move us to great things. God, you want uh, different families uh, in this room right now. God, you, you want to call them to greatness. And maybe they just need to diagnose themselves as being distracted. Guys, we're, we're just focusing on the wrong things. Maybe they seem to stop. And just enjoy the next week and think about their own salvation that they don't deserve. Maybe they can retell the story of when they were Magi and they were being called to Bethlehem. And God, as, as we think about um, our own journeys, please, our church needs to come together and recognize that we have a mission and that's to be light for this world. Because there's so many wise men and Magi around us that are seeking the truth. And God, when they come here, and we open up your word, may they see light. And the light being, hey, 
It's the Jesus light. It's, it's his perfect life, his death and his resurrection as the point. May we be utterly undone by that truth, God. We thank you for the Christmas story and what it means in your name. Amen.